Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that's all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 220 of Sorta Awesome. And just a little programming note, I wanted to let you all know that we absolutely are releasing our annual gift guide this year. It's our tradition. It will be out on Monday, November 25th. But in the meantime, for you early shoppers who are getting all of your shopping done before the craziness of December hits, don't forget that you can totally go and shop the gifts that we put in our gift guide in the years past when you go to our Amazon shop. So you're going to find gift suggestions from our gift guides there. You're also going to find tons and tons of our past awesomes of the week from all of the co-hosts and lots of other awesome categories as well. And it's so easy to go shop over there. It really could take care of a big chunk of your holiday shopping list if you go to amazon.com slash shop slash sorta awesome. All right, this is episode 220. And two of my favorite people are here this week. First of all, my dear friend and longtime co-host, Rebecca Hoffer from simplyrebecca.com. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. All right. And right by Rebecca's side, returning to Sorta Awesome this week is her husband, Nate. Nate, welcome back to Sorta Awesome. Hi. Thanks for having me. It feels like it's been so long. I'm you know so what? happy to be back. It has been a long time. I went back and checked. For those of you who are new to Sorta Awesome, you may not have heard Nate's first episode on Sorta Awesome because it was back in May of 2016. Wow. So... It has been a minute since you have been on the show. That episode is called Crushing Misconceptions About Homelessness. And we got to hear from Nate about his work as the director of a homeless shelter. That's a really fantastic episode. I mean, seriously, one of the most solid ones we've done talking about how to approach what we're kind of going to be talking about today, giving and supporting people who are in situations where they don't have the resources that they need. So Nate, you did such a great job speaking in an awesome way about how to be compassionate and generous and giving that we really, this was like the right time to have you come back to Sorta Awesome. We have a very timely topic for you guys this week. It is the topic of giving. Lots of us are thinking about gifts and giving for family and friends, but we're also thinking about how we can give to others this holiday season. How can we do that in a way that is awesome, both for ourselves and for those who are receiving our gifts. Nate has put together some do's and don'ts that we can keep in mind as we go into not only the gifting season that's ahead, but also this time of year when we're really thinking about how can we go beyond our circle of family and friends and give in a way that's going to make an impact on people this season. So Nate, thank you for taking time out of your day to come back to the show and talk about all of this with us. I love being here and being able to work with my wonderful wife, Rebecca, on this podcast is such an honor. I think the the two of you and your other co-hosts do a wonderful job of spreading joy and fun and practical wisdom and insight to your audience. And 
I'm happy to be a part of it. And every three and a half years for me is good. So if we can book now for three and a half years, what would that be? 2022, 2023. Right. Yeah, you know, every three and a half years, I have like new content. So let's just plan on it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Sounds good. We'll pencil it in for sure. <laughs> okay. Well, we are going to get to all of that here in just a few minutes, but first let's do go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. This is that moment in the show where we take a little bit of time to tell you about the books or TV shows, movies, podcast products, whatever it is that's making life a little bit more awesome for us right now. Rebecca, what do you have for us this week? Well, I have a dress from Amazon that I am recommending. There's the story behind it that my friend Emily and I, we often share clothing. And we were at a fundraiser event together and she was wearing this new dress and she said she got it on Amazon. And I said to her, oh my gosh, I can't wait to borrow it. <laughs> That's great. Did you literally like borrow each other's clothes and kind of shop well, each other's closets? Dresses. We okay. share like dress up clothes. Well, not dress up clothes, but you know what I mean. Fancy, fancy event clothes. Gotcha. And lo and behold, I had a wedding this past weekend and I borrowed the dress. It worked out fabulously. I really did love it. I can see myself buying my own. And this is what it's called on Amazon. It's from the brand that I honestly do not know how to say. O-X-I-L-U-Y. Oxylu. I don't know. Oxy Louis. Let's go with that. So they describe it on Amazon. It is the vintage half sleeve, oh, neck, contrast, casual, pockets, party swing dress. <laughs> Quite the description. Quite the title there. Yes. Okay. So here's why I love it. I love it because it's under $30. It's available on Amazon. Amazon Prime even. So the prices range depending on the colors that you get, the sizes that you get, but you're looking at the $25.99 range to the $28.99 range. It's 65% cotton, 35% polyester blend, so it's soft, breathable, but most of all, it is flattering. So it has like a longer sleeve to it that for me, I'm kind of a short girl, I'm 5'2", but it comes down to my elbows. And so I know a lot of women... They have a sensitivity to their upper arms, perhaps. So super flattering in the arms with that longer sleeve. It also cinches at the waist. It has a little bit of a drop waist. It's not like an empire style. It drops a little bit and then it kind of flares out just a little bit. So it accents the hips. It's just super, super flattering. If somebody wants to see it on me, you can go to my Instagram profile. I have a picture of me in the dress there from the wedding. That's at Simply Rebecca. But you can really dress it up or down. So I got... Well, I didn't get, I borrowed <laughs> from Emily, the black with white accent. That's the contrast part in their description. So it's almost all black with this white stripe along the bottom. And there's other options that you can get. You could get all black. You could get floral, polka dots, plaid, a navy with red contrast or a black with yellow contrast, a whole bunch of different options. And I really think it could be dressed up or down. I wore it with black heels and like some sparkly jewelry. It was perfect for a wedding. So it comes in sizes small to extra, extra large. And it's prime with free returns on some of those options. And I just feel like it's a great party dress for this holiday season. It could really transition into winter, fall, spring. I mean, depending on what you get, I think you could wear it all year round. And it has pockets. It Yay! has pockets. Yes. Nate, you probably don't get that. But like pockets and dresses, 
are like a significant thing to women because we wear so many items of clothing that do not have pockets. Can you imagine living your life without pockets? No, you're right. I don't get that. <laughs> yeah. I'll take your word. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So did you say, was this the dress that you wore to the wedding that your kids were in recently? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I saw the picture of you all and I thought to myself, Rebecca looks darling in that dress. So thank you. Thank you, Meg. Thank you, Oxy, Louie. And thank you, Emily, for letting me borrow it. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Well, we will totally have a link in the show notes for you guys to check that out for yourselves. And like Rebecca said, it's totally the season where you might need to have something a little fancy to wear to parties and whatever. So, so fun. All right, Nate, I understand you also have an awesome of the week for us this week. I cannot wait to hear about it. I do have an awesome of the week. So I have been trying to watch what I eat recently, you know, trying to do the good thing. I've been working out. I've been exercising, running, trying to watch what I put in my mouth and put in my body. And as a result, I've been longing for food, for really unhealthy, delicious, fried, bad for you Uh food. And a way that I satisfy that need is I watch other people eat really bad food. So my habit in the last several weeks has been, you know, after the children are in bed and I have some downtime and when the cravings really start kicking in and I really want to go to the fridge and just ravage everything that's in there, I watch others on YouTube. And so I've been doing this for the last several weeks, like no joke, like just for hours watching people eat. I find this so alarming. Okay. I'm pretty concerned. But I I consume zero (laughs) calories in the process and it's scratching an itch for me. So there's like a whole bunch of guys and you'd be surprised. Maybe those of you who are listening wouldn't be surprised. There are a lot of people who make a very healthy living and income just by videotaping themselves eating food. It's phenomenal. It has opened up this entire world of YouTube to me that I've never known existed. And you can really get sucked in. And I have been sucked in. And there is this one fellow in particular that I stumbled upon because I've been watching all these people just eat food, eat food, eat food. And I was watching this one guy and, you know, YouTube catches on to you and they say, hey, well, if you like this guy eating food, you'll also like this guy eating food. And I took them up on their recommendation. And there is this one gentleman. The name of his channel is Barstool Sports. Okay. Barstool Sports. Barstool, one word, sports. And it's not the kind of channel you want to watch with your children around. This gentleman, you know, he uses some language that you probably don't want your kids hearing all of the time. And I don't watch it for that. I watch it because what he does, he literally goes around the entire country. He is on a mission to visit every pizza shop in the country. And he does what he calls one bite reviews. Okay. So this guy, Dave, Barstool Sports, the videos are three to four minutes long. The format is always the same. He's walking out of the shop. He gives a little plug, says where he's at, which city and state he's in. And he takes one bite. He says one bite. Everybody knows the rules, takes a bite, and he gives it a rating, one to ten. And the power and influence of this guy is amazing. He was at a pizza shop in Indiana. No, it was Kentucky, I believe. And he gave a review that wasn't great. Okay. A couple weeks later, the restaurant shut down temporarily to retrain their employees. 
Oh, wow. So this guy, he's got such a following and he can negatively or positively significantly impact, you know, a business and a restaurant just by doing these one bite reviews. And it's fascinating to me. I've gotten sucked in because I just love watching him eat pizza. I love pizza and I wish I could eat pizza as much as I want, but I, I'm trying to behave. So I watched this guy eat pizza and I'm really jealous of him. I really wish it was me. I wish I was just going around the country eating pizza. But it's amazing because he actually gives really good reviews. I mean, if you think about it, you think, what is there to say about pizza? But there's a lot to say about pizza. It's the cheese to sauce ratio. It's the tanginess of the sauce. It's the crust. It's how thick it is. It's the flop of the pizza. When oh, you hold the, the pizza flop. size up, you know, he's assessing the floppiness of the pizza. It's a lot. And he's giving these reviews and I love it. And I just wish I was him. I really do. I wish I could just travel the country and eat pizza. Honey, maybe we should get pizza tonight. Like, you can eat pizza. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> Barstool Sports. I mean, if you're like me and you just love watching people eat, this guy. <laughs> this guy. Barstool Sports. Dave. All one right. bite pizza reviews. We will put a link in the show notes. I have to tell you that my sixth grader, AJ, also loves those channels, watching people eat things on YouTube. I cannot believe it is such a huge part of YouTube culture. But Nate, the problem for her is she watches those, but it doesn't satisfy her craving. It like ignites a craving for her. So she loves to watch people eat ramen. She loves, loves, loves any kind of Asian food and especially ramen. So she'll be watching like video after video of this and she'll be like, mom, can we have ramen for dinner? <laughs> like, you've been watching YouTube again. haven't you? <laughs> That's right. Oh my goodness. Okay. So fascinating. Well, my awesome of the week this week also has to do with having a little bit healthier approach to living. It's not on YouTube though. This is the Mama Strong program. Rebecca, have you ever heard of Mama Strong? I don't think so. Okay. Well, I had not heard of it either until just a few months ago. I was introduced to it by one of our awesomes, Allie Beatty. She actually has been on Sort of Awesome. She was on the show over the summer back in episode 202. Anyway, she asked in the Hangout group on Facebook if anybody would be interested in being in an accountability group for a, a challenge, the challenge that Mama Strong was doing in October. And I was like, I've never heard of Mama Strong, but you know, Rebecca, you may have experienced this too. Post-pregnancy, I go through several months where I just feel like my core muscles are just shot. And oh, yeah. You know, by the end of the day, it just, your back is hurting. You just feel so weak through the middle. And I just really hate that feeling. So. Anyway, I went ahead and signed up at Mama Strong and signed up for the challenge. Now, listen, I'm going to be a hundred percent honest. I didn't complete the challenge because in October is when Nico got RSV and we had a lot of sickness here and I kind of fell off. But the whole membership site of Mama Strong is what I want to talk about this week. What I super love about it is it's just $5 a month and all of the programming lives online. The creator of Mama Strong has created all of these different approaches to body movement and exercise for different phases, whether you are in pregnancy, whether you're newly postpartum, whether you have a baby who's eight weeks to 12 months postpartum, and then continuing on even for, you can go as long as you want. Even if you had kids like literally decades ago, she has a program for you. She also has different programs to address specific aches and pains like lower back pain or ankle pain, just kind of target those problem areas. And again, you have access to all of these different workouts for $5 a month. She's super approachable. Like she doesn't take herself seriously. She's a very funny instructor, which I always appreciate. A lot of them you can do in just like 10 minutes and you can do them from home. 
I have really enjoyed these. I want to say too that she makes it really clear that this isn't just for women who are moms. You can be any woman in any phase of life and get a lot out of these programs. And all of her programs are safe for women who have abdominal separation or diastasis recti or recti, where you have that separation, especially following pregnancy. All of the workouts are safe for that. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes so you guys can go check it out. But it has just been so empowering to feel like, okay, this has been really helpful and really empowering. And it's, again, it's super approachable. You don't have to feel like you have to be in shape already to start. She starts you from the very basics in the very beginning. So anyway, I'm giving a big thumbs up to the Mama Strong program. It sounds really customizable. Like I really am impressed with those different, you know, levels that you say that they have. And it sounds like is the focus maybe less on weight loss and more on just healing your body from even just the trauma of life and especially the trauma of pregnancy and birth and how hard that is on women? Yes, absolutely. Now, I haven't gotten into her program that she calls the mama program. It's for when you're not really postpartum anymore. It may be more focused on exercise for weight loss in those levels. But definitely the ones that are for like pregnancy and early postpartum are really focused on, like you said, healing from the traumas of childbearing and all that. So That's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. All right, you guys. So we will have links to all of these things in the show notes for you for this episode. Don't forget that every Friday we're asking you what is awesome in your life, both on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash Sort of awesome hangout. All right. So let's dive into this topic. Rebecca, you and I kind of started, you know, thinking about maybe we could do an episode on this based on a couple of discussions that have come up in the hangout group. One of them had to do with how to give well to organizations and to people who live overseas, who live internationally. But another one came up that was just talking about giving in your local community. And you and I both noticed a couple of these threads and one of them really spoke to you. Your ears kind of perked up as you were reading it because it was dealing with the idea of giving to people in your local community, people who maybe don't have resources and some of the discussion back and forth about that. You were like, I can speak to this. This is like our family's life is knowing how these dynamics work and how people can really show up to be awesome in these situations. Yeah, one thing that I feel like I have really grown a lot from having a husband who works for this type of nonprofit. Like, I think we all maybe have some bias that we're living with that we're maybe not even fully aware of. And being part of this nonprofit and this community, I have really grown and learned a lot about some of the judgments that I was maybe not even conscious that I was making about people. And my eyes have been open to, you know, just that struggling people are struggling and that we all kind of just need to like calm down (laughs) when it comes to our judgments and how we think about it, you know, and how we think about their choices and their actions, like hurting people sometimes hurt people and they're not always going to be the easiest to love. And we ultimately just need to give bucketfuls of grace because, you know, we all have our own struggles. And certainly people who are living in this type of crisis are going to have even more. So I personally am really thankful for Nate's job and the ways it has opened up my own eyes. I feel like I learn from him all the time. 
in how to continuously extend grace. He is the expert here in the family on that, always the more loving, patient one, and I am continuing <laughs> to learn from him every day. So it's good we have the expert here yes. to really preach this morning. This morning? Yes, we're recording this in the morning. No matter what <laughs> yeah. time of day you're listening to this, though, we can learn from what Nate has to share with us this week. So Nate, let's just turn it over to you because you are the expert here in this realm. And I know that you have been thinking about some of the issues that you've seen come up through the years. I'm sure, gosh, more than most, you have interacted with people both on the receiving end of gifts and giving and, you know, charitable efforts, but also the givers and seeing some of the issues that come up in talking with them. I would love to hear some of what you wanted to share with the awesomes about this. Yeah, well. I'm happy to share and to preface everything. I just want to say I fully acknowledge that these are my thoughts. These are my opinions from my observations. And I totally understand how the listeners, all of us are coming from different perspectives. We all have different outlooks on life and people and how to treat people and our experiences have shaped us and molded what we think. And I fully get that. So I'm sharing what my beliefs are and how I view, and hopefully it's helpful. Certainly don't want to come across as, you know, harsh or critical of people. I fully recognize that we're all coming at it from a different space, but if I can hopefully just share some of my thinking, maybe it can touch somebody's heart and influence some folks and how they think about giving. And this is the time of year where our hearts sort of naturally turn towards thinking of others because we tend to get reflective, thinking about the blessings that we have, and we want to share those with others. And in my, you know, 11 years or so of working for the nonprofit that I work for, I've encountered a lot of people who have really, really good hearts. People who have really, really good intentions, people who I think, you know, really want to do well and do good and serve others and make an impact and bless other people but who get really frustrated and maybe even burned out and who let an experience that didn't meet their expectations negatively impact their heart and harden their heart. And that's really what makes me sad and what I want to talk about today to hopefully prevent you and others from having that same kind of experience. I remember several years ago, it may have been in 10 years ago at this point, I remember having a conversation with a man, and this is a story that I'm sure a lot of you listeners can probably resonate with. He told me that Christmas time, some time ago, he had bought presents for a needy family. And I say needy family, a family that was under-resourced, that needed support, didn't have the finances to provide Christmas presents for their children, for their family. And th this gentleman, this friend of mine, he had, out of the generosity of his own heart, had purchased Christmas gifts for the family. And I wasn't there for the exchange. I don't know what happened, but somehow his expectations weren't met. He communicated to me. He said, you know what, Nate? I bought these presents. I did this thing for them. I, you know, sacrificed my own money. And it just didn't seem like when I went to drop them off, when I went to drop the presents off, it didn't seem like they appreciated it enough. Oof. And he said, I'm never going to do that again. And I remember in that moment, just being so struck with grief and sadness over hearing him say that, that he went from a point 
in his life where he was willing to do such an act of generosity to now proclaiming that he was never going to do it again because his expectations weren't met. That statement has stuck with me for many years, and I'm sure some of you who are listening may have had a similar experience at some point in your life. And some of you who are listening may have said something similar, that your expectations weren't met, you feel like it wasn't received the way that you wanted it to be received, and as a result, you're not going to put yourself in that position again. And I just want to encourage you a new way of thinking about generosity, if that's you this morning. And again, I totally get it. I know that a lot of life's problems result from unmet expectations. A lot of life's problems. And this is a case in point. When you extend your hand to someone who is in need and you feel like it isn't received well, your expectations aren't met. So I have learned to adjust my expectations over the years and to remember that my act of generosity, how people receive it and respond to it isn't the point for me. I just want to talk from my own personal perspective. I am a person of faith. So I believe that when I serve, when I help others, the point isn't in how people respond to it. The point is that I do it because I believe that as a person of faith, that's what we are supposed to do. I share this story sometimes with people that, you know, if you think about it, most of us who have attended church have heard the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a parable where Jesus tells a story of how to love our neighbors as ourselves, And he shares this story. It's a really beautiful story where the man who was not doing well, he was beaten up and left for dead and robbed, and he was laying alongside of the road. And this man, the Samaritan, paused, took notice, had pity, felt compassion for him, and went to him, and through several steps and actions served him. And as Jesus is telling the story, that is how we love our neighbor as ourself. That's how we show compassion. That's how we give to others in need. And the interesting thing about that parable is that it's never mentioned in the parable how the man who was receiving the help, how he responded to it. You know, he didn't... He didn't send a thank you note. Right. It's not written in the story that he was full of gratitude, that he expressed gratitude, even what happened to him after that. That's Even so what he did, you know, that's not the point. It's good if we see people who we're helping. It's good if we see them respond in a way that makes us feel good. It's good if we see them propel and move forward in their life and do great things. Like, that's all great. But friends, it's important to remember that that really isn't the point. It's really not the point. Our act of compassion and love and mercy and grace to others who are in need or who are hurting, just the this, this simple act of doing it, that's enough. Release yourself from expectations of how it's going to be received. A lot of us, when we give, when we reach out, I think it's healthy and it's important for us to check our hearts. You know, why are we doing this? That's a tough question, and it requires an honest assessment 
and analysis? Are you hoping to get a good social media post out of it? Are you hoping that someone that someone will capture it, take a photo and tag you in it so others can see it? Are you expecting you know, it to be received really well? I've just encountered so many people in my time with the work that I do. The work that I do, we serve the homeless population. We serve up to 200 people a day, lots of homes, programs, shelters. So I see a lot of people yeah. come in, volunteer, and want to do good. And I've seen this so many times, and it really troubles me, where people come in and they want to volunteer or they want to give. And you know what? It's almost like they expect balloons and confetti to fall Ugh. from the ceiling yeah. when they walk in. I am here. Yes. I'm here. You're welcome, yes. everybody. I'm here. And, you know, kid you not, so many times I've seen people come in and serve one time and their expectations aren't met and they never come back. Wow. They never come back. Yeah. They're not patted on the back enough. They're not thanked enough. The folks that I love the most are people who don't need that. Mm -hmm. and who don't expect that and who don't require that. And it really does come from having a clear understanding of why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah. What are you expecting to get out of it? And I've learned for myself, I literally do not expect anything. And not even just in my job, but last week I was sharing with Rebecca, I encountered a young mother. I went to the grocery store. She was holding a sign. She was homeless. She needed help. I gave her cash. I have no idea what she did with it. I have a feeling, I have a hope of what she did with it. She needed lodging for the night. But the reason why I was able to just give so freely and help in that situation is because I don't have expectation. I responded in a way that I felt like God would want me to respond in that situation. And if we're able to get to a point in our hearts where we understand that, you know, how folks respond to our acts of compassion and mercy and kindness, that really isn't the point. And that if we have expectations for how people respond and how they receive it, we are going to get hard hearts. You are going to be frustrated at some point. There have been so many times in my career and in my life where I've been you would call it burned, where you've been burned by people, you know, taking advantage of whatever you want to call it. You know, people have different definitions, but, you know, where you feel like you were taken advantage of or people didn't, you know, do what you thought they were going to do, you know, with your act of kindness. And the reason why I'm able to continue going and haven't gotten burned out and the reason why I continue to just have an open heart in those kinds of situations is because I really believe that God is just asking me to be faithful in the act of service, in the act of kindness, and that literally when I help someone, whatever it is, you know, financially or just with my time or a kind word or whatever it is, that I'm really seeing God in that moment. I really believe that. Yes. And so how people respond to it, it really doesn't matter to me. Right. It really doesn't. Yeah. I really feel like I'm having a godly encounter in that moment. And so, again, I fully understand how people, you know, can get frustrated if they give and they feel like it's not appreciated because that's your money. So I understand that's your time. You would love to know that people appreciate it. <laughs> like that would certainly help. Yeah, I totally get that. 
But again, if it helps everybody, including yourself and your heart, if you can get to a point in your life where you understand that it's really not about the response, it's about the act that is most important. And I think it's also important for those of us who are privileged, and I count myself in this category, for those of us who are privileged, who don't worry, who haven't had a life where we've worried about where our next meal is going to come from, Mm -hmm. how we're going to pay our rent or mortgage. For those of us who have never had those traumatic kind of experiences, it's hard to imagine that when you go through something like that, your ability sometimes to express gratitude and to acknowledge gratitude, it doesn't flow as freely sometimes. Sure. Yeah. You know, when you've gone through a traumatic episodes and experiencing poverty, sometimes your ability to show gratitude and express gratitude has taken a beating mm. a little bit. It just doesn't come as freely. And it's important for those of us who have never had to walk through those situations to understand that, you know, sometimes it's a little difficult for folks to get to a point where they can be vulnerable and open enough to express that gratitude. And so it doesn't mean all the time that it's not appreciated. It can be hard for people to fully express that. If you're not at a point in your life where you are emotionally healthy and well, it can be difficult to communicate that in a way that sometimes we want to hear. So that's also important to remember. I think that's such a great point because I think many of us project ourselves and our whole life experiences and how we think we would receive a gift or help in those moments when, just as you were saying, if we haven't experienced it, we don't know how you would respond. And so it's not very helpful to project how we think we would do it onto other people because like you said, we have no idea the trauma that they have experienced or are experiencing in that moment. And yeah, just thank you for giving us that perspective. I think that that can help to foster so much compassion and help us to release our expectations in those moments as we try to step into somebody else's shoes and think, okay, I don't know what I would do in this moment. That's so helpful to hear. I really love that. You know, I think that when somebody is experiencing some sort of physical trauma from, you know, critical illness or a bad injury and hospitalization, I think we're much more willing to offer grace to them in their lack of response to things because we can so very clearly see the trauma on their physical bodies. Yes. But there's so much trauma that's happening just in the mind, you know, these awful, stressful situations, having to flee your home because of domestic violence or you know, being kicked out and just the everyday stress of, again, like Nate said, not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. That is extreme trauma also, but we just can't see it with our eyes. Right. We tend to be a lot harder on people Mm. in those circumstances. So, so true, Rebecca. That's such a great point. Okay. This is so helpful. It's such a great mindset shift. It really is. And I would love to hear what directions we can take, practically speaking, once we've shifted our mind into a position of generosity and compassion and we're releasing those expectations, then what does it look like really lived out? Yeah. So understanding that, you know, wherever you live, whatever part of the country or world you live, you probably have, you know, a charity that you really care about, a mission, a cause that you are really passionate about. And as we approach the holiday season, you're thinking about, you know, wanting to get involved. And again, I'm speaking from my perspective of working for a nonprofit organization that serves the homeless population. So the holidays 
We are very blessed. We're grateful to receive a lot of people who want to support us. I'm just here to share some of my opinions and my do's and don'ts of what is really helpful and what is most helpful. So again, speaking from my perspective, some of the struggles that we have had with folks is when someone wants to do good, and we serve a lot of children in our shelter and housing program. So we often you know, have people reach out to us who want to do something for the kids. They want to do something for the kids, and that's great. And sometimes they want to come and they want to actually give the gift or whatever it is that they're giving. They want to present it to the children. They want to come, they want to have their family come, and they want to give the gift to the child. For those of us who are listening, you might think, well, what's the problem? That's fine. That's no big deal. And that is okay. But again, think about the folks, the children and the parents in that situation, having strangers come that they don't know. It can be somewhat of an awkward situation. So trying to accommodate the needs of people like that sometimes can cause a bit of an issue. The most helpful thing, I think, from my perspective is if there's a cause or a charity that you really care about, rather than telling them what you want to do, asking them what's most helpful, what can we do? We all have things that we care about. We have things that tug at our heartstrings, but trying to remember that it really is about trying to do what's best for this charity that you care about and asking them what would be the most helpful rather than trying to direct what you do is always helpful. And remembering that I think we all like to control the gifts that we give, like whether it's money or whatever it is, we like to have control over where it goes and what it does. And I think that's okay. But remembering that nonprofits, I mean, we all really do just need unrestricted cash <laughs> donations. It's something that we all are aware of. But, you know, especially around the holidays, some of us who want to give, who want to get involved, we like to direct our gifts and have it go towards a very specific thing. And I think that can be okay. But just remembering that for a lot of nonprofits, if it weren't for unrestricted cash donations, none of us would be in existence. And understanding too that, you know, around this time of year, it's always really popular to give. End of year giving is really important. It's really where a lot of nonprofits make up for, you know, the rest of the year, which can be pretty lean. But, you know, remembering too that nonprofit that you're getting involved in or supporting this time of year, they're probably open the rest of the year as well. <laughs> and I try to say that in a really gentle way. You know, the work that we do, Thanksgiving, Christmas time, it's an abundance of food that we get, an abundance of food. And I'm so grateful for it. I mean, it is so encouraging. But oftentimes the staff will say, you know, I wonder if folks know we're open 363 days of the year outside of Thanksgiving and Christmas too, because it's literally on those days. And we actually get so much sometimes that we can't use it all. So trying to remember, how can you cultivate an attitude and a spirit of generosity in March and June as well? December is fantastic. November and December are really great. But friends, there are folks in need 365 days out of the year. And the nonprofit that you care or that you support, you know, their expenses are just as high in May as they are in November or December. And what can you do as a family? What can you do as an individual to be charitable in your thoughts, in your prayers, and in your deeds 
all throughout the year. You know, we don't have to save it for Christmas time or for Thanksgiving. I mean, there are neighbors and friends in your community, members of your community where you live who are hurting and who are struggling all the time. So what is also helpful for nonprofits is if we can all remember that, is if we can all remember that, you know, hey, while we're going on vacation in the summertime and going to the beach, there's, you know, folks who are really struggling. What can we do to, as a family, as an individual, to remember them? And it could just be something as sending a word of encouragement to the staff of a nonprofit that you really care about, letting them know, hey, we know that you're doing this great work. We appreciate you. Or sending a, a $25 donation, sending a meal, buying an item off of their Amazon wish list, remembering them and encouraging them throughout the year. I think that. You know, if folks really understood how much of an encouragement it is for those of us who work in the nonprofit sector, it's a boost of medicine for us to receive support from the community. And it's almost like everything goes in overdrive on the holidays because it's the time of year where everyone thinks, oh, we want to give back. We want to give back. We want to give back. And that's great. So the holidays are wonderful. We love the holidays. But, you know, if you knew what it did for us who serve in nonprofits, how much of a boost it was for us to have your encouragement and support, it would probably motivate a lot of us to show those acts of, you know, gratitude to our nonprofits all throughout the year. It really does mean a lot to us. So end of year giving, getting involved at this time of year is excellent. Thinking how can you remember and cultivate that spirit of generosity all throughout the year, remembering that Yes, it's good to have your own interests and ideas of what you think a nonprofit needs, but also just being open and being mindful to the fact that, you know, that nonprofit really knows best what they need. So let me ask them, what can I do for you at this time of year? What do you need as opposed to coming with your prescribed notion of what that nonprofit needs is always the most helpful thing too. Well, you know, one thing that I would say that I think a lot of parents who are listening to this are probably thinking to themselves, but we give the holidays to teach our kids not to be such spoiled brats because the holidays is always about gifts. And we're trying to continuously teach our kids. It's not about the receiving. It's about the giving. And we're just trying to balance the scales a little bit. I think when I hear you talking about the importance of giving all throughout the year, you know, I think it is a little bit tricky for parents when they're trying to reinforce generosity specifically around the holidays in order to counterbalance all of the receiving that the children are having. But I think there's great freedom in what you're saying. You know, on a very practical, maybe even selfish level, I think that moms tend to make the holidays happen and they're juggling a lot of things and a lot of expectations. How freeing is it to hear? that it's okay to save your giving for January. It's okay to do your giving in October or August. I know somebody who has a large family, and I think she does July specifically. She tries to have that be the core month that her family is really making a conscious effort to focus on others in their community. And part of the reason she does it then is because the holidays are so crazy. So yes. while I think it is important to find some way to balance the scales for our children at this very, very gift-heavy time of year, I think there also can be great freedom in choosing to be intentional with teaching our children that, number one, just all throughout the year. But then number two, 
dedicating a specific time, maybe beyond the holidays, to where you're really, really going to press in on that. Yeah, definitely. That's so smart. So what I was hearing you say, you know, put a conclusion on all of this was do remember that it isn't about you. Don't put too much emphasis on the recipient's response because that isn't the point. Do be open to giving gifts beyond children. You told me that everybody wants to give a gift to a two-year-old, but nobody is remembering the men in the homeless shelter or the mom or the teenager, you know? Don't put pressure on presenting the gifts to the recipient. Go with what the organization is saying. You know, again, practically speaking, maybe mom wants to give these gifts herself. You know, maybe mom needs to get credit for these gifts. Yeah. Maybe Santa's bringing the gifts. Yeah. They don't have to come from strangers, you know? Right. Again, do give unrestricted cash donations because that's always helpful all throughout the year. And yeah, do remember that there are other times a year that you can give. Yeah. And just remember, you know, compassion with no strings attached is the best kind of compassion. Mm, yes. It really is. And it's the kind of compassion that I would want to receive. Yes. And it's the kind of compassion that you would want to receive. It's the kind of compassion that God, and again, even if you're not a person of faith, it's the kind of compassion that makes sense. (laughs) We should be treating each other in a way without having any strings attached to it. It truly is the kind of compassion that we would all want to receive if we were in a situation where we were desperately needing help and where we were struggling. We wouldn't want to have to try to satisfy the need, the emotional needs of the giver. Yeah, We would just want to receive the help that we need. And that really is the best kind of compassion. So as we enter this season of extravagant giving, remember the best thing that you can do is to give your gift without attaching a cost or a price to it. Whenever you give a gift and expect something in return, you are asking for something back. And that's not fair to you. And it's not fair to the recipient. Yeah. That's so wise. Thank you, Nate, so much for coming back to Sort of Awesome to share these things with us. This has been so instructive and so inspiring, honestly. So helpful, I know, for myself and for lots of us who are listening. Okay, so it was so great to hear Nate's perspective on these things. I have some thoughts that I wanted to share really quickly, too, because while I don't have the experience that you all have with getting to see how these dynamics play out up close and personal through Nate's work with the homeless shelter. I do have one teeny tiny little experience, tiny in the grand scheme of life. No, no, no. You are downplaying (laughs) this. Well, I just want to be like, I went on one trip and it totally changed the way I see everything. But I know that sounds silly to say, but truly, it really radically recentered my perspective of these kinds of issues. So another thread that had come up in our Hangout community discussion was talking about some of the ways that we can be awesome at the holidays in giving internationally or overseas, especially in what we might consider like developing countries. So I know for myself in the past, I have participated in programs, events, those types of things where we as Americans could send things, toys and trinkets and candies and stuff to kids overseas at the holidays. Now, some of these I participated in were connected to a church in some way. Some I did through like local civic groups or school organizations. And it really is, you know, one thing that we've kind of been talking about is that as the gift giver, we get this sort of rush of getting to give and it's the Christmas season and it's all about giving and 
doing something that's, you know, like Nate was talking about, like giving back or doing something that we feel like is bigger than ourselves. And I think this is what a lot of us might be thinking about when we are giving overseas at Christmas. We have this very solid idea of what Christmas is, what it should be like. We love it so much. We want to give that experience to kids everywhere. We basically want to give them an American Christmas sometimes, no matter where they live. And I honestly hadn't given that idea much thought. It had never really challenged me until I did have the opportunity to travel outside of the U.S. with a humanitarian group. And I learned in a short amount of time, I learned some very big lessons about how important it is to not really kind of like insert our Americanized way of doing things into different cultures. So just as a reminder, if you're new to Sort of Awesome, back in the fall of 2016, I got to travel to Lebanon with World Vision, which is a Christian humanitarian group. I was there for a week reporting on the Syrian refugee crisis and how it was impacting the people in Lebanon, how it was impacting the Syrian people. If you've not listened to that, you can go back in the archives. In fact, I'll drop a link in the show notes for you to make it easier. It's a little ways back there, isn't it, Rebecca? It is, but it's worth (laughs) hunting for. It was really well done. I'll do the digging for you guys. There's three episodes and I'll put a link in the show notes. Anyway, one thing I learned about so much when I was traveling and working with World Vision is really the importance of cultural sensitivity and like cultural appropriateness. One thing that I really love about World Vision is that the staffers in each country's office or the like the operations for that country, the staffers are all from that country. So yeah, they understand the culture there, not to mention the language, because they're from there. And so they are going to have a better sense of what's appropriate in this culture, because it really is kind of mind boggling once you are traveling outside of the United States, or if you are fortunate enough to have friends in your own circle of friends in your own community who have immigrated to the United States, it's mind boggling how different cultures are. If you've grown up in America, you've really been formed by American culture, and there are so many differences. For example, one of AJ's very best friends is Vietnamese. Her parents are Vietnamese immigrants, and just being close to their family through the years, for the past, you know, eight years or whatever, we've learned so much about Vietnamese culture and how we can be good friends to them and understand the dynamic of friendship that's there, and that's just one example. So anyway, cultural sensitivity is something that I think would be really awesome for all of us to think about when it comes to what are we doing when we're sending things overseas? What perspective are we taking? Are we seeking to kind of understand a new culture and understand what might be meaningful to send to people in that different country and that different culture? Or are we just saying American stuff is the best stuff? So we're going to send you some. (laughs) Something to think about. The other thing to think about is really looking for an emphasis on development, which is to say, what can we do if we really want to make an impact on kids in different countries, if we want to make an impact on families, on communities, what can we do that is going to stretch beyond the opening of a gift that comes to them from America? Nate was talking about, Rebecca, like this idea of recognizing our privilege and that we want to give from a place of that recognition. And I totally agree. Like if we want to be able to say, I'm privileged to be in this country, to have the resources that I have, I'm privileged to have this amount of abundance. How can we give in a way that encourages 
development of communities in these developing nations? How can we support people beyond just sending stuff? So I have to agree, like Nate said, that probably most of these organizations are like, you can send cash. (laughs) Yes, yes, I'm sure they'll take it. Zero complaints. Zero complaints about that. And I think something that's really important for us to remember at this time of year is that once that money that you're giving leaves your hands, it really ceases to be yours. Like you have entrusted it to someone, whether you're giving locally or internationally, you're entrusting it to these organizations or like, you know, Nate was talking about, you're entrusting it to individuals to do with it as they see fit. And so, yeah, just like looking for ways that we can support people. So I have a few do's and don'ts of my own. The first don't would be don't try to recreate an American Christmas for kids in developing countries by sending stuff because it can be problematic in a few ways. First of all, in some instances, it can diminish the dignity of the parents of these kids that we're sending things to. And again, it's amazing how much of what Nate had to share. I was just like thinking this totally applies when we're talking about sending stuff overseas too. We want to respect the dignity of those parents and not be like, oh, you can't give your kid an awesome Christmas. So here's some stuff from us so that they can have an awesome Christmas. We want to look for ways that support the kids and the community collectively. It also can kind of put a pressure on parents to keep up with this new standard of cool stuff that their kids had gotten once a year, maybe once every few years, whatever it is. And also it can kind of cause problems amongst the kids can cause jealousy, fighting, even violence. There are numerous stories and reports from people who are actually working in developing countries that some of these shiny, fun American gifts can end up causing problems and even worse, sometimes can be confiscated by like corrupt politicians or corrupt groups in the area and then used to engender good feelings towards them, towards the corrupt dudes, instead of like being like, oh, look at this great thing that came from this charitable group in America. So it can be problematic. These are just things to think about as you're thinking about how do I want to go about giving in the holiday season. So I would say do support some life needs in developing countries. Look for programs that offer like economic development or even food like Heifer International has a huge program that puts food resources in place, sustainable food resources in place for communities Charity Water is a great organization that brings access to clean water. Like one in 10 people worldwide do not have access to clean water. World Vision has ways that you can give money towards schooling and towards sports for kids. So like you can sponsor a soccer team having soccer equipment. So you can still like make an impact in these communities, but in a logistical way that's going to go beyond just the opening up of a present. I would say don't send stuff to kids in developing countries because a big organization has done the legwork for you and it's easy. (laughs) If you really, really, really do not just want to send money, if you feel like that's really impersonal or that's just not the path that you want to take, ask around, do your research, connect with organizations that are already in place that you can ask them, like, what can I send that would be helpful and not hurtful for the families in these communities? And then lastly, I would say, do consider all of the ways that you can still get together with your church group, your civic group, your kids' school, 
whatever, or even just with your family to put together physical, tangible gifts that will bless others. Because I mean, I know for some of us, the whole appeal of doing these gifts that end up going overseas to kids, it's like there's something tangible and we can teach our kids something about what it means to give, what it looks like to give. And you miss some of that when you're just giving money. Kids are so concrete, Rebecca, as you know, yes. like they want to yes. be able to see and touch and feel and have the whole experience. So, yes, so much more of the giving is about the teaching of our own kids and yes. not just the giving. Yes, totally. And so some ways that you can do that in ways that are helpful are consider putting together like toiletry kits for your own local community shelters, whether it's a homeless shelter, a women's shelter. And if you're getting to a women's shelter, you could even call and ask them beyond basic toiletries, can we add some little treats for the kids who might be there, whether it's a pack of stickers or a pack of gum, or you can just ask the people who are running the shelter, what can we add that would be a little extra fun? You know, I'm sure Rebecca, you all know that shelters are constantly needing toiletry kits because you use them. They're yeah. consumable. <laughs> yeah. Toilet paper, that's like a big need. Yes. Razors, feminine supplies. Yes, most definitely. Soap, shampoo, all of that stuff. They're given to people and they get used and that's what they're for. So there's that constant need. And to go back to what we were just talking about, you don't just have to do this at the holidays. These, you know, relief organizations, they need these year round. So this is something like putting together toiletry kits. You can totally tangibly do it. There's an actual thing, a concrete thing that your kids are doing. Baking cookies or other baked goods to deliver to neighbors, to deliver maybe to shut-ins, people who are not able to leave the house and go out and have a lot of holiday cheer. Again, you could ask at your church, you could ask at your local senior center for names of people who might like to have some kind of fun Christmas baked good. I will say too, this is something near and dear to my heart after having visited Lebanon and met with refugee families. If you have a local refugee ministry in your community, they are a great resource to reach out to and say, like, how can we support families that are coming into this country, usually with almost nothing except maybe the clothes that they have? And you can check with them and see, you know, can we even like adopt a refugee family and help meet some of their needs? Doing something like that is going to be tangible, and it's going to make a huge impact on families that are here in a new country, new culture, lots of them starting over from scratch. I just think it's a fantastic way to help. Lastly, missionaries. Lots of us are part of faith groups that sponsor mission workers abroad. So check with your local faith group if you're a part of one and ask, can we adopt a missionary family? What are the needs of some missionaries and their families that we could really give to. And again, collecting those tangible things and working through the bigger logistical organization for your faith group to say, we want to remember the people who are out serving what God has called them to outside of the U.S. Maybe they would like to have a little, you know, maybe they would love to have a package of American Christmas that shows up for them as they're serving in a different country. So such a good idea. Yeah. That's just, just some things that came to me. We're not here to nitpick anybody. All of us are on a journey. All of us are constantly, you know, learning new things and reassessing what we thought was true and kind of thinking about, is this something I still want to do? So we're not here to nitpick for anybody to feel called out or whatever. We just thought, you know, this is the perfect time of year. It's not Giving Tuesday yet, but Giving Tuesday is coming up later this month. 
and giving us on our mind. So we just thought this is the perfect time to kind of talk about how to be awesome with all of this. One thing that we didn't have time to talk about, but can be really important to people, is when they are giving those gifts of cash to nonprofit organizations. Some people, like you said, once you give that money, and as Nate said, you know, it's not ours anymore Mm -hmm. to worry about. But if you want to do a little bit of research on the front end of things to kind of make sure that the nonprofit that you're giving to, that you do agree with their finances or how they spend their money, there are very easy, practical steps that you can go through to check on the finances of a nonprofit that you're looking into. And so later this week, Nate and I are going to go on Instagram stories on the Sword of Awesome account, and he is going to talk you through the process of how you can do that, how you can look into the finances and the budgets of a nonprofit and, you know, just kind of vet them out for yourself. That is so smart. Thank you guys for doing that. Yeah, I will you're welcome. Definitely, definitely be tuning in myself. I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say. So good. One little thing that I will say, though, is it takes money to raise money and yes. to serve people. So don't turn your noses up to all the salaries of just any right. organization, though, because you need like you have to spend money to help you people. To. You really do. Mm-hmm. So It's so true. So true. All right. Well, I know people are going to have some follow-up thoughts and discussion on this topic. Rebecca, remind us where we can find you all around the web. Well, you can find my website at simplyrebecca.com. And of course, I am on Facebook and Instagram at simplyrebecca. Okay. You can find me on social media at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. You guys, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. 